Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. Most of you would be aware that I rely on accessibility software so that I can do most of the things I do using technology. And today we're very lucky to have a guest on who designed and created one of the software packages I rely on to access audio files. And I've now learned to say the name properly, so you can all go look it up. It's a software package called Calliope, and it was developed by a very, very capable young programmer called Nathan. And he has a website called nathantech.net. And I encourage all of you to have a look at the website after you've listened to this episode. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. I'm joined today by David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, and only slightly tongue-tied from saying Calliope. <laughs> That's good to hear. We, of course, have the Calliope's founder, Nathan Smith. Thank you for, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Come on, dude, say Calliope properly, because you do it better than me. <laughs> you, no, you got it bang on there. Calliope is exactly how you pronounce it. It's, it's the uh, English accent, I think, that just gives it that extra punch. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> James Bond wrote code. <laughs> Nathan, um, I'd I'd love to have, if not your inspiration, but what what got in what, what got you into coding? So I've always had a, a bit of a drive to make things accessible, to really make a difference, as it were. And my mother's partner was involved in the development world, as it were. He worked in release departments for various companies over the last few years. Um, so the interest in computers kind of came from him. And then the ability to make a change is obviously huge when it comes to development. That's the whole point in making programs in the first place. Um, I'd say more recently, the last sort of three years, which is where my software focus has been, um, it's been about fundamentals. And I've been, been driving this fundamentals point into the ground for quite a while now. Because I personally believe, and I'm sure many other people do as well, except the big corporations, that there are fundamental things that every person should have access to. And when that comes to a computer, these fundamental things are, you know, a calculator, for example, and of course, a media player. And it's part of that, I suppose, that really drives me to make certain programs in particular uh, that are accessible so that blind people have that fundamental access that, that they deserve. Now, Nathan, I loved reading on your website where it all began, where you counted up the number of spelling errors and grammar errors and that it wasn't very logical, your website. But I like the fact that one of the early projects was a boat simulator. What was the point of a boat simulator other than it got you coding? <laughs> well, so back in the day, um, we're talking 2014, 2013, around that time, when I was first learning to program, I actually started with a language that has somewhat become deprecated these days. Um, and one of the first games I actually played was a, a bus simulator, a very basic bus simulator. And I've always been close to the sea. My family have always had ties to the sea and with the Navy and things like that. And again, my mum's my partner, he owned his own 
boat and things like that. So the idea just started as a uh, proof of concept, as it were, which quite honestly is how most of my things start. I think I wonder if I can prove this concept. I'd prove it and think, huh, that would make a good product. But yeah, with the boat simulation, it was a proof of concept that kind of just grew and grew because it was very popular. These days, unfortunately, it's not distributed, as I say, because the uh, the programming language has been somewhat uh, deprecated in an antivirus software. I tend to hate it with a passion. But uh, I've, you know, I've not given up on the project. Far from it. Um, I've certainly written down new ideas and things like that. Yeah, it was it was mainly just my kind of background from, from be, being on boats, really. They're fascinating. Was bit. it a little sailing boat or was it a little motorboat? And did you have to avoid obstacles or get through the channel or...? What was yeah, the, so the gist of those the game? Kind of, yeah, I mean, those kind of things you're talking about are things I've written down for the, the re-release. Um, the original uh, boat stim was a lot more basic. It, it gave the idea of travelling by shifting ambient sounds. And the, the boats, there were two from, if I recall correctly, there was a rib and there was a, a larger motorboat. Um, the navigation and the map side of things was a lot simpler than things I'd make today. It was more like an audio experience than a, um, uh, like a, a progress game, as it were. Um, but there were mini games uh, like Catching Fish and Taking Out Pirates and things like that, which <laughs> I'm sure um, she'll kill me if I don't mention it. My partner, actually, she uh, I released, when I first released the pirate game, um, I had a quite a high score that I was quite proud of. And the first time she played it, she shattered it into a million pieces and hasn't let me forget it since because I never let, it, let her play it again. <laughs> well, this is good. The fact that there was a piracy version means when you do the reboot, you know, you could do it with um, sort of a nuclear supercarrier and have it doing uh, anti-piracy off the Somalian coast. This has got potential. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. See, the thing with the boat sim, and there's a couple of other projects from back in the day, like um, I released a, it, it was called Nate's Word Hunt of Doom. Uh, and it was basically, <laughs> a, yeah, it was a simple word game combination. Like it was a, a program that had, I think it was five word games. Like there was a word search and uh of others Mate, it's been years but there's a few products like that and like boats in where i'm like i want to recode these because i want to release them because i've got so many ideas and there's so far i could go with them and it's just like yeah but don't forget you know you've already released calliope and there's another release that's coming up on that that you need to get done and it's i mean thankfully i finished university uh, I've got the graduation for that on Thursday. So my time is freeing up slowly, but it's a, an ever-growing thing. It's like, which one do I start first, you know? Yeah, because once you've got a few things <laughs> on the go, they never really stop after that. And particularly, again, some of these things were tests of, could I do it? Did the concept work? And the problem with that is the snowball never gets any smaller and never gets any slower. It's so true. I mean, I always think of um, Luna RSS in the um, could I do it category because that actually started in a, it was just a conversation with a friend who was griping that, you know, he didn't have something he could use on Windows that was worth his time um, yeah. and that reliably worked with all the podcasts he wanted to listen to. And he said to me, could you make something for that? And I sat down, and I thought, probably not, because I know literally nothing about podcasts. And then, ironically, and then, um, yeah, about two weeks later, I sat down and threw something basic together. And it kind of, like you say, never stopped rolling down the hill, getting bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm at the point at the moment where too many of my days start at 6am 
with the first sort of Zoom call to someone somewhere and end about 9 p.m. with the last meeting. And at a certain point you go, the snowball is an avalanche and you can ride mm. the avalanche for a while, but you start going, please avalanche, don't get bigger. Right. Where's the pit stop? Yeah, I'm hoping it's spring and then the snow melts. Don't get to find <laughs> out if it's possible to drown while you're going downhill in the wave. Well, you just have to learn to surf, I think, on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully there's debris. I need the remains of a tree. <laughs> hey, Nathan, have you had any sighted people use your programs? I imagine that you obviously send them to like you know your university markers, uh, for instance, in in your studies, or yeah, not as many as if there are, they haven't sort of mentioned anything. I know I'm not entirely sure like I know um my periodic table program got featured in uh an article I'm not sure how long ago it was I happened to stumble upon it by accident actually there was there's a charity over here that does uh grants for um accessible uh hardware and software and things like that if you apply for it and they did a, an article during Science Week where they were pointing people to software that you could use that was science-related, and they pointed people to my periodic table. So it's it's possible that there are sighted people using it, I just don't know. Um, but my my degree was actually in business studies. What business oh, management. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Um, it's it's an easy assumption. Um, so, yeah, my, my development didn't really feature in as part of the uh, degree. Yeah, no kidding. Because I, I, I just... I imagine that obviously the the design would be um, it, it's a completely different design language, but I I wonder whether it's something that can be helpful for you know uh, different kinds of learning. We had a a guitar teacher on the podcast who was uh, talking about uh, teaching people, even sighted people, to learn to play guitar with their ear primarily, um, and it was mm-hmm. interesting how this approach that is effectively the most effective way for um, everybody every yeah. yeah it was just effectively it was yeah. the best way to, for everyone to work so i wonder I'm, I'm i'm sort of wondering whether you know i'm I'm not a scientist myself but i'm sort of wondering whether you know programs like your periodic table would just be applicable for everyone like really useful well yeah i mean ideally you know in an ideal world that would be the case if everyone was using the periodic table program in a classroom for example then everyone would be working at the same speed because that time that you guys like the sighted folk um <clears throat> that guy uh time that you guys aren't wasting with you know um going element by element you can quickly skim read down three columns five to the right and you found what you're looking for um the periodic table program makes up for with keystrokes so in an ideal world yeah you know you'd get the whole class using that same thing and everyone would be on the same speed and people wouldn't be dropping behind but there's, there's some, so I generally tend to target, um, anything I target for the educational sector tends to have a high priority on making it visually, um, if not necessarily visually attractive, then visually usable. So that, I mean, obviously the primary focus there is uh, if you've got a vision impaired person in a classroom who's being supported by a sighted assistant, for example, that they can see what the blind person is doing and advise and vice versa. Um, so the calculator and the periodic table tend to have quite heavy focus on that. Whereas programs, for example, like uh, Luna and Calliope, while they should in theory have, you know, um, visual um, usability, it may not necessarily be as pretty or as, as well laid out as others would be simply because the priority isn't there as much. 
Yeah, and when you're trying to get that much functionality built into a package, you either, I guess, build in the functionality or you know the clean skin over the top of it to make excited people see something familiar that reminds them of other apps. So imagine it's a little bit yeah. of an either or, unless you've got a massive team. Because I know, you know when I've had you know, Calliope up on my laptop and I'm listening to lectures or listening to other files and someone comes and peeks, they can make sense that it's an audio player. But the fact that I'm bouncing around with keystrokes and making things happen so fast when I want to you know, change file or change speed or jump forward or jump back, they start to struggle to work out what I'm even doing because everything can happen faster than you could do with a mouse, which is part of the absolutely. fun of using it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm a one-man band at the end of the day, so if I want to make something visually attractive, I have to send images to a poor-sighted person who's willing to give up their time, which you know, bless, bless the people I do ask. They all say, you know, it's fine. And they all do put time aside, but at the end of the day, mm. you know, it's, it's time out of their day. And especially with like media players, like you say, when there's programs already on the market that you want to build a familiarity with, you have to first think kind of get images or screenshots of those products described and then get the process going on, right. Let's try this image, right. This element showing that this button isn't, for example, or this button's in green and this one's in red. Mm. Um, it, it's it's an interesting process. I've been working a lot now and again on a graphing program um, uh, off and on for a while. And that's a very interesting process because it's all basically from my perspective, drawing lines on a screen and I have to try and visualize it in my head. Okay. I want this line to go here and here. And then I have to send the image over only for the person I send it to to come back and say, well, it doesn't really look like a grid. Right. Yeah, it's like all the talk there's been that eventually there will be some way to, you know, get like a, a topical graphical version of that graph, you know, with something like refreshable Braille with, you know, pop-up pins doing different heights or something else. And yeah. everyone talks about it, but really still there comes a point where you go, you have to interact with the graph and you just go, okay, the best thing I can do here is get someone to draw it on the back of my hand with a fingertip. That's going to be more meaningful, yeah. faster than anything else. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I've, I've sat in meetings with very senior, you know, people in the corporate world and the public service, and they've started talking about a graphic. And I just, just stuck my hand out and said, all right, with your fingertip, not your pen, draw it on my hand. And it's a guaranteed way to stop everyone in the room. But that's when they really have the penny drop about what being blind means. You yeah, know, It's absolutely. not like I can't absorb the bit of information, but I don't want you trying to use words to describe it. I want you to draw it in a way that's sensory and actually useful. And the minute they get that, they've got no more problems anymore. And suddenly you find you can't get your hand back. And five minutes later, they're still wearing graphs <laughs> on you. you go, um, I don't remember four graphs ago. And no, you can't have my thigh. It's mine. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a real fine line there between uh, what can be imagined and what needs a bit of physical prompting. It's, it's like with 3D shapes. You know, I can handle 2D shapes to the end of the earth, but give me a 3D shape and I'll be sitting there for at least 10 minutes trying to figure out how you've translated that into 2D. I mean, yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky having had just a little bit of sight as a kid. I can remember what those kind of CAD drawings look like to give you the imitation of 3D. But yeah. what I'm remembering now, 40 plus years later, is images I could see when I was seven or eight because mm. they make it so much easier to grasp that thing of 3d down to 2d this is it it's it's like creating connections at the end of the day once you can connect this line here and this line here represents that the 
cuboid is is uh, four meters high, for example. Mm. Once you've made that connection, you can translate that into other applications, but uh, without that Until you've got that first like, oh. leap, yeah. So obviously, you're always working on educational products, but you began in gaming products. The educational or just the utility products have come such a long way that you know, you're now developing a product as complex as Calliope. And that, I don't know, I reckon in the six months I've been using it, there has to at least have been four updates so you're a very, you know, dutiful, well-organized updater. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to be. It's important to make sure that these things keep working. I tend to push out updates based on uh, severity is usually the big factor. So if somebody reports several typos, for example, and that's the only thing I've got that's a fix, I will generally leave it until there's more I can either add or um, someone reports something quite severe. But if, for example, um, I mean, the perfect example is Sunrise Waterfall, which is a website building tool and WordPress uh, interface. Um, I released version 3.5.1 of that uh, last week. And within about three days, I had a couple of bug reports and I'd missed one uh, from 3.5 to do with style sheets where it wasn't coming up properly. Um, but because, uh, I mean, it only came out to about six bug fixes and none of them were what I'd say severe. You know, there was none that stopped you using the program. It was just, for example, style sheet elements weren't working and um, occasionally it would throw up a passing error if you included a, a, certain, um, a certain HTML tag without a certain attribute. But because there was there, there was enough there to make me sit back and go, actually, <clears throat> you know, there's six bugs here. We could get these out pretty quickly. So I did it, it. You know, it took me about a day of coding. But then the bug fix releases out there. And it, it's that fine line between um, updating so often that your user's going, oh, for goodness sake, I've just installed this. And now you want me to update again? But it's that fine line between that and actually saying, you know, there's, there's fixes here. There's, this one's important, this one's important, and this one's important. So, yeah, I, I try to update regularly, but it's a, it's a balance sometimes. And particularly the more complex I imagine the products get, the more often when you do it, you go, well, okay, there's multiple things here that are integrated. So if you do the update, you're going to have to also do a lot more testing to prove that, you know, you got something right. Yeah, it can be. You'll be amazed at the um intricacies sometimes for example when i fixed um midi support in calliope within about i kid you not i think it was within the, within about 10 minutes of releasing the update someone had already sent in a request and said um if you capitalize the word like the file extension it still doesn't work and it just makes you sit back and go okay fine fine i will update again yeah not one of those things you would ever expect so if the products on the utility side of your programming have become so complex and involved. What happened with the gaming side? You obviously started with the little simulators and there is parts of your website all about gaming and not being a gamer. This is the point where I will say, hey, what about gaming? And let, let you and Tim have a conversation and I will endeavor <laughs> to learn stuff. <laughs> well, um, what's important to understand as well is in 2016, uh, started development in 2015, released in July of 2016. Um, I released a text-based game. It's called a multi-user dungeon, a MUD, um, 
which is a space-based futuristic game um, where you interact with um, other people online in a role-play encouraged game. And that is a huge, and I mean huge, uh, time consumer. Um, it's a live environment, uh, so you know things can go wrong and you have to be able to react very quickly. And I, I do work with a wonderful, wonderful team of, I think, seven, to, seven or eight, I think we might be up to nine again now, um, people who uh, both add content to the game in terms of different uh, rooms and planets and things like that, and also uh, coders like myself who add new features to the game i suppose you'd say different activities different things for you to do things like that so from a game gaming perspective i would have i would definitely say that that was the last big gaming release back in 2016 that's still going to this day but well and truly it just became a matter of uh, motivation i suppose or desire really a lot of the games i released pre-2016 were in the now deprecated programming language. So the first step before I could release anything really kind of like an update for those games is that they have to be converted into the, into what I'm using now, which is Python, which isn't incredibly hard, but when you've got, you know, <clears throat> when you're sitting here thinking, okay, so um, we've got blind people here who are falling behind in class because they've not got access to periodic tables or, um, you know, we've got uh, limited access to podcasts because the software on the market hasn't been updated in ages. Or, you know, there's a bug fix release to Calliope. Everything just kind of gets pushed back and back and yeah. back. And eventually you sit back and go, oh, hey, I've been developing software for three years. How did that happen? <laughs> like at some point you started university and now it's finished. <laughs> and the Literally, whole time on top yeah. of it, you were coding. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I remember first few days, uh, one of my closest friends at uni, her and I sitting down and saying, you know, oh, graduation's three years away. That's going to take a long time. And here I am thinking, hmm, graduation ceremony in two days. Great. <laughs> hey, at, at least, you know, a lot of your country have had jabs and you can go to it. This is good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I still have to do a PCR test, which is the... Um, the quick one. They go by. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, they're horrible. Hey, it's a graduation. You only get to go to them once, twice, three or four times, Truth. depending on how insane you are. Yeah, this is it, depending how many uh, brain cells you want to burn there. Yeah, that's why <laughs> PhDs stand for permanent head damage. Yeah. Hey, Nathan, speaking of permanent head damage, I know sighted developers. I have friends who are sighted developers, and they are constantly whinging and complaining about finding errors in code. And, uh, I, I half wonder whether like your mistake uh, or like your error rate or even uh, your speed at which you find errors would be uh, significantly different, either better or worse. I, I'm, I'm not informed enough to say because of the way in which you write code and edit uh, and so proof code. Um, I, I imagine that you're kind of reading back through it at a, at a faster rate. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering how, what's your kind of like error rate in the sort of in the first place. I don't mean to be uh, <laughs> asking so, a, well, a performance no, um, question. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, I'd say it varies and you'll get a varied response asking different developers here. My, I can give you an insight insofar as most of the errors that I get are to do with typos. Um, like wording the right, bleh, I can talk, writing Wording. the words. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. New word. You remember that one. Verbal typos. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but writing the word self, for example, I'll write it with a double F on accident and mm. it'll throw an error at me. And it, 
you'll be surprised how many of those I get on a daily basis, um, both in, in software and uh, in the uh, online game that I run. Um, but I think probably my um, speed is to do with familiarity. And you'll probably find this with developers who work, I guess, independently rather than in a larger company. Um, because we're familiar with the code, we know roughly where to look. And that kind of speeds the process up because we're not sitting here reading through six functions. We're saying, okay, out of these six, it's most likely to be here and here because I know that's where the references are. For, I mean, I always come back to this concept that for blind people, there is no such thing as skim reading. So sighted developers will have the advantage there insofar as they can skim down 16 lines of code and say, ah, right, that's the one I'm looking for. But when it comes to errors, more often than not, you're given a line number within that error. And it's just a case of uh, there are keystrokes to jump straight to that line and then going from there. I like to think I could keep up with sighted developers. I've seen debates on the forums and things like that about whether blind developers could truly keep up with sighted developers. I like to think we could, but I admit I've never actually <laughs> competed. <laughs> Well, I guess you don't have to. I mean, you, um, I, it's not so much that you're cornering a market, but um, I can't imagine that uh, there are that many competitors. So, uh, I mean, it's well, also, it's also it. not I mean, that kind of industry, really. <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, if there were competitors to make accessible software, then I'd be out of a job. <laughs> then blind people would have choices. I know. Alien How weird would that be? I know. A gift and a curse, I'm sure. Yeah, because you'd get half good stuff in one and half good stuff in the other. This is truth. This is truth. Whereas yeah. now, is, is, is what you're implying, David, that Nathan's only supplying you very good stuff in one? Well, he is a lot closer to the all-in-one as you would want it to be, even if you had choice with Calliope than any other you know, kind of media player that you have to kind of bastardize to make it work. So compared to any of the bastardized sighted ones, you know, a purpose-built one, even that occasionally has a bug, is so much nicer an experience knowing that every feature in it is accessible once you work out how it works. Nathan, business degree is all finished now, which means you're officially in the world of us grown-ups, which is highly overrated. <laughs> What's the big plan? Like, are you, you know, you've got two things going on at once where the coding can obviously take you down this path and just keep growing and growing, or the business degree could send you in a very different path, or you can keep trying to weave them together. What's the plan at present? Well, relating to the, the paths discussion, actually, um, the plan at present is a very loose idea insofar as pre um, summer holidays for us over here in the UK so back in kind of July time I was working with a local secondary uh, school with several of their blind students um, and that was a twofold thing in itself because I was supporting them in they were learning braille um, so I was supporting them and getting uh, one of those familiar with screen reading software as they'd uh, only recently turned blind um, and the second concept there was I was looking at the education sector and looking how they interact interact in the class um, to see how it can be improved from a software perspective. So they've uh, made noises of me coming back uh, once education starts up again, sort of mid to late September, 
so I'm, I'm using that kind of opportunity and there's an opportunity available to me in a, a different secondary school for gaining volunteer experience because my problem at the moment is my resume has um you know all these uh, it's got a degree on it it's got this that and the other on it but what it lacks is that you know in-house uh, yeah. experience with with companies and things like that so i'm hoping volunteer work will just boost that up enough that i can actually you know get enough money to move out of my mom's house um yeah so really you've but, got that thing yeah. at the moment where it says smart young man has sat in room written much code <laughs> yeah exactly exactly get to bottom intellectually my... and now what <laughs> question mark question mark right exactly exactly that is my resume summed up perfectly um yeah, it's the normal so, yeah. problem of people who are really good at things and are so busy doing the things they're good at that they, yeah, you just miss a few steps. So you have to take the time at the end of a formal thing like uni to fill in those gaps. Pretty much, yeah. So that's pretty much where I'm at with that. And then the development side of things, it's seeing how fast I can keep up with uh, releases, basically. I've got several um, products in the pipeline. I mean, these there's a flood of releases at the moment at the time of this recording. Um, they're almost one per week at the moment, uh, if not slightly quicker, because I'm pushing out updates to Calliope had an update recently. Uh, Sunrisers had two, Lunas had one, and I'm pushing them out as quick as I can because, well, there's no timeline on it, to be honest. Um, I've yeah. got two products that are literally just sitting in my in my uh, folders ready to go. Um, I mean, today, admittedly, with one of those today, I actually thought, actually, hang on, that's missing this and this. But well and truly, they're just sitting there ready to go. But the, the only reason I haven't released them yet is because I know that I'm pretty much they're going to go out. And they're a bit like Calliope insofar as they've got quite a few features and something as complex as that, there's a possibility of it going wrong. So I need to be here to be able to react very quickly to push out bug fix releases. And I know they're going to take up time. So but, do you want to talk about the new products or is this under wraps until you do official yeah, releases? I can, I can, I can talk about those that pretty close to release. I've been keeping one of them sort of under wraps and sort of not. So um, the two that are sitting there almost ready to go. Uh, one is uh it's called Lunar Presentation. Um, it's part of the Lunar products that I do, um, which include Lunar RSS, which is the podcast reader, uh, Lunar Backup, which is a backup utility for backing up drives and things like that, uh, Lunar File Searcher, which does what it says on the tin. Um, and Lunar Presentation is the most recent there um, with the idea of speeding up presentation access, so PowerPoint access, because something I noticed as a university student and something that's come up quite often when talking to former and current university students is that PowerPoints are for one reason or another slowing up. Can we just um, be blunt and say PowerPoint sucks? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I was trying to be diplomatic, but yeah. Basically. yeah no, PowerPoint sucks. Like where I, yeah, again, because of COVID, I've gone back. I'm a master's student at the moment instead of being a lecturer. And it's great. And I'm learning all these things in a structured way. And it's very useful. And every week I get a PowerPoint and go from a screen reader point of view, this is slow and cumbersome. Mm -hmm. And I've got to the point where I send the PowerPoint to my iPhone and then I drop it in voice dream reader and I extract all the tag, uh, the text, and then just use the extracted text in a text file. Yeah. Not ideal at like, all. It's, it's like five steps which still ends up being faster than interacting with the PowerPoint as it was originally constructed. Yeah. 
Well, the, the idea with lunar presentation um, and all of this I'm, I'm going to talk about is done. The, the thing that isn't done and that's holding it back is editing presentations at the moment. I'm having a bit of trouble because the underlying library doesn't technically support a lot of what I want to do. So it's a case of really digging into the uh, underlying stuff. But anyway, um, so with lunar presentation, to use what you just said as an example, you'd open up, you'd download your presentation, you'd open up lunar uh, presentation, There'd be an open button there, you'd click that, you'd open up the PowerPoint through the usual, you know, open dialogue. And you'd be presented with two lists. The one on the left will be your list of slides. And then you uh, say you arrowed down to slide three, press tab to get to the second list, and you will have the slide elements there. And it will say, for example, um, title, um, title slide three, content uh, box one. And that would say, this is slide three that uh, Electra has put together for you. Yeah. The thing, I must admit, the thing I'm, because that all sounds pretty simple, let's be honest. Uh, the thing I'm particularly chuffed about with Luna is table and chart access, because, I mean, to give you some idea, I know so little about charts that when it came to source material, I actually had to ask around to ask if anybody had PowerPoint presentations with charts ready embedded that I could use to see how yeah, it puts tracks. those together. Yeah. <clears throat> so I have no idea if there are techniques one can use within a PowerPoint itself to actually read a chart. But as far as I was concerned, there wasn't. And uh, with Luna, you find a chart, for example, let's say chart one contains chart, you press enter on that and it just brings up again, it's, it's lists, it list sizes it. So it'll have a summary on the left. It'll say the chart title, any axes, things like that. And then say it's a, a bar chart. For example, I had one that was uh, sales, a uh, yearly sales. It just has a list that says January 5,000, February 3,000, March 4,000. And it's just so quick and easy. I mean, it it's not bragging. Really but, you know. Are you tempted to release Lunar Presentation just as a reader initially because that in itself would be so useful? I'm trying, yeah. I mean, I'm trying for the edit angle because it can already add and move. It's just deleting I'm having trouble with at the moment. Um, okay. It's really, it really is a few things that I'm, I just need to take a couple of days to sit down and hash and out. It it out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, at the moment done, I could done. see the value just in a reader for, yeah. you know, for speeding up. Okay. Here's this week's 19 page PowerPoint. Whee! Yeah. Yeah. Literally this is it. I mean, I was looking at some of my old lecture slides from when I was, you know, doing the degree and I just loaded them up in Luna. I thought this is just so much easier. Yeah, you know, this makes so much more sense. Um, so, but yeah, I can see that that coming very soon. Like I say, it's just a case of me sitting down and really hashing it out. Okay, um, well, expect a very good review wherever you want me to write it the minute it's out. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and then the one that's very and truly uh, the one I mentioned, uh, the other product that's just today. I thought actually I need to add one or two minor things, but it's it's ready to go. It's just sitting there. It's actually even compiled is um, an update to my calendar program. So on the website, there's a calendar craziness, it's called, um, which is a very basic, that was a translation from the old programming language. And I just translated it and released it rather than adding anything new, something I deeply regret. Um, and that's what this update is all about. And this update, using concepts and things learned from Calliope insofar as the screen design, for example, where you've got multiple screens, the calendar program is huge, quite frankly. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a calendar program that's got your dates, you can add events, but then you've got time zones. So you've got a clock screen where you can have multiple clocks just sitting there showing you the different times. You can add as many as you want. It's got timers, it's got stopwatches, it's got uh, syncing with Google and Microsoft calendars. So if you're using external calendars like Google or Microsoft, it can sync up with those and edit those at your will. It's got time reminders, so you can have it kind of chirp on the hour or every 15 minutes. And it's it's got a lot more that I'm forgetting because I haven't got the program in front of me. Um, it's a it's a huge program that I'm hoping will revolutionize, revolutionize um, calendar access so that people don't have to use six different programs or six yep. different web pages just to get uh, one thing done. Yeah, and, and let um, me put this in context for the listeners. So listeners, when we're trying to arrange a time for something like this with Nate, part of the problem is none of the time zone comparison apps on an iPhone are consistently accessible. Um, some websites are great consistently until either Chrome or Firefox are updated. The Google Calendar is pr pretty good because you can do it through a web interface. The Microsoft Calendar is a dog. If you end up trying to do the Microsoft Calendar from within Outlook, it's like the dog got rabies. <laughs> that, that a pretty good summation of the universe? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, and just to give you some comparison, as it were, to put it into context, if you wanted to have time zones, so using your example of setting up a meeting today with me in the UK, you guys in Australia, you'd literally, you'd press Alt 2, which is your you know standard or plus number keys from Calliope, which would jump you to the time screen, tab across to add clock. You'd select the country and the city and it would just put it in for you. So you do that with each one and then you've just got a list that shows each clock and the time is in a box. Once again, when you need the review, just yell. <laughs> I sure will. Well, Nathan, I'm convinced uh, as someone who will probably sparsely make use of your products that they are needed. That, that probably goes without saying at this point. I really hope that you can make a living from this, man, because it brings so much value into the world. It's just a, a matter of finding the, I guess, remuneration, really. <laughs> this is it. I mean, I've, I've written on my website as well that all of all of the current products I've released and all of the ones for the foreseeable future at the moment, uh, especially in the software side of things, are all free to download, free to use and free to uninstall if you don't like them, because I'm not competing with other developers um, and I make this very clear especially with Calliope you know if you're using Calliope and you you find it great then fantastic if actually you've already got something else set up that works for you then you know fair enough you know my point and my role is not to compete and put other people out of business my role is simply to provide accessibility in fundamental areas where there already should be accessibility. <laughs> and yeah, for that reason, you know, I don't charge, I don't accept donations. I just ask that people spread the word and that, you know, they uh, find some use for it. And if that's what they do, then job done. Well, uh, as a podcast that sometimes delves into, you know, uh, philosophy and, 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 and virtue ethics, uh, I, will, I will give you the Blind Insights uh, badge of honor for truly virtuous thank man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. yeah, virtue ethics with the big exclamation mark. <laughs> David, any, any final comments? Yes, I managed to say Calliope reliably. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
well gentlemen thank you both very much for your time thank you very much nathan smith for joining us thank you very much for having me and thank you david as always thank you nathan for teaching me to say a big word (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) hello audience thank you for listening to blind insights If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share your favorite episodes or leave us a review if you really love us. We'd love to hear from you. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights or send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Oscast Network. Peace out.